0: Let me ask you, if you would, turn with me again this morning to the 21st chapter of John's Gospel, John chapter 21. We read the opening portion of the chapter last week, so just to set the context again, this is that As John describes it, third time that the Lord has appeared to His disciples after that He was risen from the dead. But that third reference is with regard to the disciples as a unit to that body that's called. We even saw it in our reading in Acts today. It became a title for that group, the Twelve. But we break into the chapter today and begin our reading in verse 15. So John 21 beginning in verse 15. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkst whither thou wouldst. But When thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldst not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. And Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, "Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee?" Peter, seeing him, saith unto the Lord, or to Jesus, "Lord, what shall this man do?" Jesus saith unto him, "If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me." Then went this saying abroad among the brethren that that disciple should not die. Yet Jesus said not unto him he shall not die, but if I will that he tarry till I come. What is that to thee? Well, amen. We'll end our reading there in verse 23. Trust and ask the Lord again to bless the public reading of His inspired Word. And I will ask you again to join together with me and let's bow our heads and hearts. Pray the Lord give us help as we consider His Word today. Our Heavenly Father, we're grateful as we come and read the pages of this tremendous portion of Scripture, that You will give us the help of Your Spirit that we need to rightly handle and understand Your Word. We're grateful that You record the testimony of those that have gone before. We speak and see those that we might even call giants of the faith. And yet your word very plainly reminds us that they were men of like passions such as we are. And it has been displayed in all that led up to this conversation with Peter and his Lord. That Peter was a man of like passions, of frailty, of sin. And yet what grace is there throughout this word. And so we pray that you help us as we look at it today. And we pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, this is one of those portions of Scripture that the believer can hardly read. At least I think, can hardly read with understanding without the swelling of a tear. It is instructive to be sure, but not in a didactic way like the epistles. Oh, this is... Instruction that's contained in a a personal story. And a story that almost overflows with feeling when we contemplate all that is involved. We've already looked at the first part of this chapter and we've considered the striking parallels and the significant differences between this time that the Lord appeared to the disciples there by the Sea of Galilee and that time where by the same seashore He began to call these the twelve unto Himself. But now in the second portion of this chapter, and really the focal point of the story, we come to Christ's conversation with Peter. I want you to think with me as we consider this portion. It's a portion we have looked at in time past. I don't know, I think it is getting to be exceedingly few that could remember the days when we met in the civic building in Clemens, and then the day that there were so many flies in the building, there wasn't any room for us so that we hurriedly convened in my grandfather's living room. Um, we were looking at the life of Peter at that point and were brought to this chapter. That was one of those times where you sense the opposition of the devil and the opening of the Word, because that week I had been greatly challenged in my own understanding of this portion and of just where Peter was at this point. I had been under preaching that on more than one occasion had found in this chapter uh, a great cause for rebuke in the Apostle. This was a great sermon to put people in bondage. You've know, you got to get out of that phileo zone and get into the zone and you better do it by the end of the meeting and if you haven't done it in your seat, you better do it up here. Um, Well, I could carry on a little bit longer, but I came to realize... I think so much of that type of appeal and application of this chapter just misses, I mean completely misses, the point of what is going on. I want you to think with me about just the many pieces of this story. I'm going to go a little A.W. Pink on you today. Not that I'm borrowing from him, but I have seven points. And if you've ever read anything from A.W. Pink, it doesn't matter where he is in the Word, they will find seven points uh, to bring from it. No numerology, nothing like that, but just as my thoughts on this chapter have evolved, seven pieces of this story, seven places to focus our attention, and lest you think we'll be here until Labor Day, um, a brief application on each of these thoughts. But the first one I put before you is really foundational, and I just suggest this thought to you under the heading, A Fellowship Renewed. A Fellowship Renewed. You look at this portion of Scripture, several commentators, Pink is among them that does this, uh, bring out the, the appearance as the disciples in that previous part of the chapter we considered last week, when they come out of their boat, they're dragging the nets that aren't breaking this time, and the Lord calls them to come and dine with Him, that they're seated around a fire of coals. And... Many comment, and I think rightly so, that that little detail is included here. And it's also included that it was by a fire of coals in the courtyard in the palace of the high priest that Peter, thrice with cursings, denied that he even knew Jesus. And how could Peter sit there and stare at these coals as we are almost involuntarily drawn to do when we sit by a fire without remembering? That awful evening. But to me, as I've thought on these post-resurrection appearances, and we've been looking at these along the way, I've been more and more smitten this time with the reality of that appearance to Peter that's already occurred. There are two times in Scripture where that time that Jesus appeared to Peter early on Easter, prior to that evening appearance to the twelve as they were gathered. It said he's appeared unto Simon. When Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 is given to record these notable post resurrection appearances of Jesus, he notes the time that he appeared to Peter. Well, we don't have a record of what was said, what, what point in the day, how, how did that play out? We want to know often, but we're not told, except I say the Lord lets us know, very specifically lets us know that that meeting happened. And I just have to wonder, as we saw last time, one of the differences in this time the Lord recalled, as it were, the disciples. Peter, instead of saying, depart from Me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man, he rushes out of the boat to be the first one to the shore to be with Jesus. If that, I say, fellowship renewed has not already taken place. I want to read to you, if you want to turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, just to remind ourselves a little bit of how things have played out. Sometimes we know, we know the rest of the story and we don't think through the sequence. But you think of that night of the betrayal. In chapter 22 of Luke, we read from verse 24 a reminder of that strife that was among the disciples which should be accounted the greatest. But if we come down to verse 31. And we read here, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. He said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Now you just have to wonder. We read in the other account there in that courtyard as Jesus is perhaps being taken through from one place to the other through those many interviews of that night that he caught Peter's eye. And when Peter saw the Lord and remembered, he went out of that place and wept bitterly. Peter's crushed at his own sinfulness. He's crushed at his own pride. He's crushed at his own inability to stand. I mean, the host and list of sins can go on. And you just have to wonder The necessity, as it were, that the Lord felt to appear to Peter alone. We don't have a record of that conversation. All I say we can do is seek to piece together what it must have included. I will say these things with regard to it. I mean, if there's anything that's true of all the post-resurrection appearances, it's initiated by Christ. Peter doesn't say well, there's this risen Lord and and we don't know where He is at this moment, but I'll just make Him appear now here. that's not the way these appearances were working. There were carefully selected points at which Christ revealed Himself and provided those many infallible proofs we read of in Acts chapter 1. But I say our Lord chose to meet privately with Peter. He initiated that meeting. And Peter, who has wept bitterly over his sin, has already seen his sin. He's already penitent for this sin. He's crushed by it. And so it's a meeting that must have included penitence. And of course, penitence, we don't have time to follow this important doctrinal thought. But penitence always includes faith. We have to believe that He has promised to forgive ere we come and bring our penitence and our sins to Him. Peter has had his sin exposed. It's always important for us to remember a few things about the exposing of sin. When the Spirit exposes our sin, it's with a view to drawing us to Christ. When the devil exposes our sin, It's with a view to keeping us away from Christ. Somehow persuading us that our sins can't be forgiven. Of course, if we would just think through the logic of that, then the payment that Christ paid is insufficient for your sins. What blasphemy and unbelief do such thoughts carry with them? Peter, I say, has already met with the Lord. We'll see as we go along, there's a lot of corporate aspect to this conversation and this meeting with Peter. There was private meeting. There was time in the closet. There was time alone with God that Peter had already had. You think about that aspect of our Christian experience. Sometimes I think in days such as ours in the churches, in a reactionary spirit against a legalistic frame of mind, comments and sermons about devotion, about dedication, about personal interaction with the Lord, about consecration, about separation from the world, about being dedicated to Him and cut off from that which is antagonistic to Him. A lot of those private aspects of Christianity are just kind of not highlighted. Friends, brothers, sisters, that's where life is. Our corporate gatherings are just to help us in that personal walk with God. The first little window I say to this encounter is fellowship renewed. But secondly, I would put before you a relationship displayed. I want to pause on this. I've done so in the past, but I just love that little phrase that opened our reading in verse 15 today. So when they had dined. You think of that encounter. The Lord has prepared a meal for these men. I wonder what their meals were like when they spent the evenings on the water fishing. Maybe it was a little kind of like camping, backpacking food. You know, Maybe a little beef jerky, uh, some dried stuff. A cooked meal? You don't have that when you're fishing. The Lord has prepared a meal. He already has food there on the fire. And then He asks them to bring of the fish that they've caught. And they gather around, and you think of that encounter we read of last week where they all are in wonder and nobody asks them. They're all knowing that it's the Lord. He's careful to comfort them. We saw last time he is so obviously with purpose recreating that first encounter where he first called them to himself to be his disciples and that he would change them from being fishers of fish to being fishers of men say not only the renewal of their call and that aspect of their ministry understood and refreshed but to fellowship with them there sharing a meal is sometimes the the focal point the highlight of all of our gatherings whether with family or friends and the Lord prepares and engages in this with them And you think about that and The relationship that is underneath that intimate relationship that is assumed and put on display. I wouldn't say that this conversation with Peter comes under the category of discipline. It's more in the category of instruction. It's in the category of challenge. He's going to put difficult things before him and yet put them before him in an encouraging way with a foundation that's underneath. How often is it true in our family? you think even of the, the rearing of children, where discipline and instruction and challenge comes into play. Underneath there's a relationship, there's a bond. There should and must be a love that undergirds that, that supports the heart in the middle of that instruction, or even rebuke. You wonder how helpful, even in the corporate aspect, such things are when it comes to discipline and challenge. That there is a relationship, that there is love underneath. That which is so understood and has been so constantly put on display that it can't be denied in the middle of the the more difficult parts. And so I say we see a relationship displayed, but I hasten lest I make myself a liar or make myself a prophet with regard to Labor Day. The third little window suggests to you here is a heart examined. This is the section where the preachers come out and I guess there's warrant if it's understood correctly. The conversation with Peter itself that threefold time in which the Lord asks Peter if He loves him. There is a distinction of terms that's used here. We'll comment on that more in a moment. And I do think there is reason for that distinction. But I think also if you look at the gracious purposes that we highlight here, three times Peter had denied his Lord. Three times here, The Lord gives him opportunity to publicly confess his love to his Lord. It's clear, I believe at least, that when the Lord says to Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? I remember hearing a very pointed sermon one time. It started out with the first phrase earlier in the chapter. Peter said, I go fishing. There he is, back to his worldly life instead of following the Lord. You get into these questions with regard to His love and you see the the, the charge here. Do you love Him more than these? I heard it preached very forcefully. Do you love me more than these fish? Do you love me more than your job as a fisherman? Well, I'm not saying we have clear warrant and explicit textual evidence that that's missing the point. Uh, But I think as you read this, every implication is at least that that's missing the point. What was Peter's boast the night of the betrayal? Lord, these other guys, they might abandon you, but never me. I'm with you. You can count on me. Peter, do you really love me more than these men love me? Got another perspective on that question now, does he not? Eid, the Lord uses the word agape in his questioning the first two times to Peter. Peter replies with Phileo. The Lord steps down, as it were, to Phileo the third time that he asks Peter the question, and Peter's grieved that he asks him the third time with Phileo. As I said, there's been a lot of sermonic material given with regard to the difference between these words, scholars have gone to great lengths to go through the New Testament, many of them coming down, that there's no distinction between these words. You can see where they're paralleled and used interchangeably and so forth. There are some contexts in which there is a different shade of meaning. And then, of course, there's, to me at least, the... It's rule that as you go into the Scriptures and you see synonyms brought together in the same passage, that the very purpose for bringing the different words side by side is to draw out where they do differ one from another. And if you do that and understand that in this context and see the places where there's a different shade of meaning, agape is love that is presented in the context of will. Will of service, of laying down one's life for another, etc. There's there's action. There's purpose. There is the, the direction of will. Whereas Phileo contains a more subjective picture. Affection. That emotional aspect of love you can't just will that into existence it's what naturally occurs and is there and I think and agree with those that in wrestling through these synonyms in this passage rather than being rebuked as Peter has been for not being willing to take that next step and love God the right way I think Peter here a much better man than Peter in the upper room those few nights ago. There's a new humility in this man. He sees something put before him in this question that he will not now boastfully say he owns. Lord, there's a love. There's a commitment. There is a direction to pursue and follow You that I'm not going to say as I once did. Everybody else might blow it in that department, but never me. You now Peter understands his will, his resolve may falter. But there's something in him that will not fail. And that is his love, his affection for Christ. It's as if Peter's saying, Lord, I could fail you as I have before. But you know I always love you. I thought of this as Peter each time says, Lord, you know, you know. And then the last time he says, Lord, you know all things. How many times had Peter during the earthly ministry of Christ witnessed Jesus tells somebody what they were thinking. He knows he can't hide his thoughts and his heart from this Jesus. And while he may say, Lord, I can fail you. I can in an hour of trial in weakness fail as I did then. But you know this. You know that I love you. Here I say is a heart examined. And Peter, I say a different Peter, shows a humility. He shows a little more self-awareness than he ever had before. There's a fourth aspect that I put before you and that is what I call a commission restored. I think in some ways commentators are agreed that one of the highlights of this interview, this conversation, is a public restoration of Peter to ministry. If there were any question in the minds of these other disciples about Peter's worthiness to serve with them and be a witness of the resurrected Christ, to be a building block of the New Testament church, our Lord here personally gives His own Indication that he's called Peter to this ministry and Peter's still in it. And here's the public corporate restoration to office. And you think of that final statement after each of these questionings. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my dear sheep as William Hendrickson translates it. Some suggest and look at perhaps progression even in the feeding and the tending and so forth, different aspects of ministry. Hendrickson, I think, is perhaps closer as he says, no, the progression and the thing to underscore is the description of the sheep. they are different stages of life. they are different conditions. The little lambs. They're weak. They're totally dependent. Shepherd them. You look at the mature sheep. Or they're not so weak and not so dependent as the little one on the mother, as it were, but they wander. They have a tendency to stray. Hold them in. And then to shepherd these dear ones, as Hendrickson translates. You just wonder how much better fitted Peter was for pastoral office, having been humbled himself. To be able to help the weak and failing sheep as one that has come alongside them, one that can come alongside them. And I say this now, humbled under-shepherd is entrusted with the shepherding of the sheep. Peter's commission is restored and it's in the presence of the twelve that the Lord vindicates this and calls him and restores him and sends him forth to minister to the flock. But think with me fifthly, as the conversation continues, some suggest perhaps it is true that at some point in this conversation, the Lord and Peter rise from sitting around the fire and they begin to walk together and John follows we don't know exactly when and where that sequence occurred. I would have to think myself at least that this questioning of Peter and his restoration was in the presence of the other disciples. But I say as the conversation continues, there's this fifth window. Bros revealed. And consider with me, I would say, the solemnity and yet the grace of what the Lord reveals to Peter. Say, Peter, when you were young, you went where you wanted to go. You did what you wanted to do. But there's coming a day when you're old and you're not going to do that. Instead, somebody else is going to lead you. And they're going to lead you to something that you don't want. And they're going to spread your hands. An emblematic way of describing crucifixion. And of course, John underscores that because the Lord there is foretelling by what means of death Peter would die. There's a cross revealed. And we can be taken back at that. And I say there is a solemnity about this revelation. Perhaps there is some encouragement in it because Peter at this point, if we piece all the narratives together, is what we'd say a middle-aged man. And the Lord speaks to him about that's going to happen when he's old. So there's going to be years of ministry here. He's going to have a long season in which he testifies of Jesus, in which he's faithful to Jesus and doesn't betray Him. But the solemn part is, is he does predict a martyr's death. But I say, yet yeah, with the solemnity, there's grace. Because what happened in that Courtyard of the high priest. A bold, brash, boastful Peter wasn't willing, at the point of crisis, to identify with Jesus. You know, I don't know how it's going to play out. I mean, they might, they might, they might crucify him. What are they going to do with us? Never saw him. And the Scripture adds, with curses. I say the grace that comes along the solemnity of this prediction is Peter's not going to fold. What Peter thought he could do in his own strength and failed, he'll now be given the strength to do by the Spirit of God. One who's humbly dependent upon his Lord and will be faithful unto death. What a promise. Of course, the Lord had, in a sense, given that to him there in the upper room. Satan's desired to have you that he might sift you as wheat. And if I left you alone, that's probably exactly how it would play out. We might add by paraphrase or by implication... But Jesus says, But I've prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen your brethren. You think of the grace that's being given to Peter. And even though I say a cross here is revealed, the grace to be taken to that, the grace to endure that, the grace to be taken through that is going to be given. As well. It's not a flippant thing. You don't see it predicted. Yeah, you're going to be so bold, you're going to be sticking it in their eye when they come to persecute you. He says, No, they're going to take you where you, you don't want to go. I feel like sometimes, perhaps at least in my youth, and maybe it was an error of my own, but seen in others that There was this flippant mindset about persecution. And even the reality as you look in church history that persecution purifies. But I remember being rebuked early on at one point almost praying the Lord would bring such persecution to purify the church our times. I think, wait a minute. Do I really want to ask for this? Is this something I want? Is this something I'm capable of enduring? The Lord here speaks to Peter and says it's something you're not going to want. Nor is it something I think we should feel we would want and flippantly speak of. There's a cross revealed. And how much these men would have known with that greater understanding given of the Spirit after the resurrection, our Lord speaks about taking up their cross. And following Him. But there's a sixth aspect of this I want to look at. And that I've called a curiosity denied. Peter and the Lord are speaking and now walking and they turn and he sees John following. The Lord's just said, Peter, you're going to die a martyr's death. You're going to, you're going to die by crucifixion. And of course, Tradition has it that Peter at that point requested to be crucified, inverted, to not be crucified even in the same way as Jesus. That is mere tradition. But Peter having been told of this day, this cross that awaits him, he turns and he looks at John and he says, Lord, what will this man do? And I submit here is a curiosity denied. Some commentators, frankly, I was surprised, see here a reversion to that competitive mindset among the disciples. Okay, Lord, You you told me what's coming for me, now what about Him? Is, is He going to be that strong? Is it, what? I, I'm sorry, I just don't see that. It could be we are that weak, but I wonder if it's not Here, merely genuine concern for his dear friend, his younger co-laborer. Lord, if that's going to be what happens with me, what's going to happen with him? It could have been an entirely appropriate, heartfelt reason for asking. But in either case, the Lord simply says, Peter, that's not for you to know. If I will, that He tarries till I come. What's that to you? Many see a great rebuke here. I don't know if rebuke is the word or perhaps rebuff. We get our dictionaries out and work through those. But there's a a curiosity denied. You know, I think there's application here. How much curiosity comes up in us? You've heard me joke along the way about the prophecy teachers and the different books through the years, at least in our lifetimes, that have come along. I always laugh about the Bible code book of a couple decades ago. People want to know, you know, you put it all in a grid and you figure out things and it's predicted, all these different events. They want to know what's written between the lines and they don't care what's written on the lines. Well, those different curiosities come up all the time. Sometimes they're in genuine pursuit of study in the prophetic word. What are we expecting? What's going to unfold? There's necessity and profit in much of that study, but when we're getting beyond what is clearly revealed, that's where a little dose of humility comes in. That's one reason we have an open policy with regard to some of the questions about the millennium in our denomination, because all of the details just aren't given to us with great specificity. How many times should our curiosity be checked? You know, there's more important stuff for me to dwell on. Whatever the Lord has for John, if the Lord hasn't chosen to reveal that, well, that's between John and the Lord. It's not for me to know. What it is for me to know, and here's where we come to our final point there's a pathway defined. The Lord says, If I will that he tarry till I come. Of course, we commented last time, one of the purposes of John's dealing with this is to put a rumor, to You think about John, by the time of the writing of the Gospel, he's older. And it may be that people are looking at John thinking, you know, I wonder how much longer he's going to be here. Because you know the Lord's going to come before he's gone, so we've got to be getting close. John said, the Lord didn't say that. You know, that's been spread around, but that's not what the Lord said. The Lord said to Peter, on this occasion and for this reason, if I will that He tarries till I come, what is that to thee? He said that to get Peter's mind off of other things and to focus Peter where it needed to be. He says, I say, a pathway here defined. Let that with John be between me and John. What it is for you, Peter, is to follow me. Here I say is a pathway defined follow me and yet we step back and we think "Well, wait when the Lord three years earlier by this same lake had said follow me and I'll make you fishers of men yeah we get that here's here's a prophet here's a teacher he's going forth preaching the gospel of the kingdom he wants you to come with him and share that message and share that ministry leave your ships leave your nets follow me okay done Now Jesus is crucified and risen. And He's going to ascend to the Father and He's going to leave them. And He still says, follow Me. How is it Bonner phrases it? Of course, borrowing from Peter's description, the great loved unseen, whom having not seen, we love. And yet, Peter's instructed to follow. Now he follows an unseen Christ. Now he follows by the leading of the Spirit and the ministry of the Word. But I have to also pause and take, as it were, the long view here. Where is the second man? Where is that last Adam? going he's going to the right hand of the father he's going to prepare a place for us and it's in that capacity it's with whatever life and ministry will intervene in these days of our flesh that ultimate end of the journey is the presence of god and the risen Christ looks at this now humbled Peter, and yet a Peter more prepared to serve than he's ever been. And he says, "Follow me. Let all the other stuff fall where it will. Follow me." Well, there, I trust, is food for our souls from a number of angles. What a story. What a life event that the Lord has chosen to put in His Word for us to read, for us to dwell upon, to be written for our learning. Whatever pieces of this, be it challenge, be it encouragement, may the Lord write those needed parts on our hearts and give us grace even to walk humbly prior to such a fall as Peter's, that we might follow Christ in a gospel heart. Let's bow our heads together. Lord, we come today and each of us could fill in the different parts of the story with our own pride, our own failures. But Lord, I trust we can fill it in with the same Savior, the same grace, the same result of the workings of the Spirit upon us, that we might become more humbled, more dependent, and then receiving greater grace that we might walk faithfully. So take up Your Word. Minister those things we have need of today. We pray it in Jesus' worthy name.